life is like it's like this frequency or this sound that everyone can acknowledge it is there but everyone hears it differently hey everyone Welcome to another episode of Amazon's Black Stories, where we highlight the stories of Black designers, researchers, and creative minds from all around the world. I'm your host, Justin James Lopez, and today we're joined by Joelle Okpala as we talk about the importance of taking perspective and understanding how that perspective shifts your overall success. Let's hear his story. Thanks, Joelle, for joining me on the show for this episode. I wanted to start by just letting you introduce yourself to the audience here. Thanks for having me, man. My name is Joelle Ifani Okwala. I am a senior store designer here at Amazon. Come from an architectural background. I've been working in the architecture field for plus or minus 15 years. I'm originally from Nigeria, first generation Nigeria. Born here, spent most of my life in Nigeria until I moved out here for grad school. Went to NGIT, did a dual master's degree out there, architecture and urban planning with a focus on sustainable infrastructure. Graduated, got my first internship out there. NGIT, that's in New Jersey? Yeah, that's in New Jersey, yeah. So I actually grew up in New Jersey. Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, I grew up in New Jersey. In South South Jersey, basically like this small city, Camden, connected to Philadelphia. I know Camden. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in Camden. I I wasn't born there, but I was... I spent, I think we moved there when I was like five or something like that. Okay. Nice, so nice. I spent most of my life there. So yeah, I, when I heard NJIT, I was like, well, I haven't heard that in a while. Yeah. Because um, I'm, <laughs> I'm here on the, the West Coast. But so you, you said you're a store designer. Yeah. So what, is, what does that mean? To summarize it up in one sentence, it means solving problems. Okay. Yeah. In, in, in a micro scale. In a macro scale, it's like what we're task to do is to integrate Amazon's proprietary tech into physical spaces. Most of those physical spaces where customers come into our retail spaces. So Amazon sell products in those spaces and we sort of create a journey for the customers, right? We create an experience for them from how they walk into the space to what they smell, what they see, how they feel, the kind of products that are on the shelf. So we curate everything. The store designer's task is to create prototypes so it can be replicated and scaled. We create the customer journey and then we facilitate how it would be executed from drawings to products and operations and things of that nature. Yeah. So it's a a mixed bag. Yeah, it sounds like it. When it comes to that work, how did you, you said you had come from an architecture background, right? Yeah, I come from an architecture background, yeah. How did you decide? Because this is like, this is interesting to me. I think you're the first store designer I've ever interacted with. So like, how did you decide, when did you decide, and how did you decide that this was kind of the path that you wanted to take for your career? Yeah, I, I can't like really pinpoint a time that I said, okay, this is what I want to do. This is it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was young. I think the first time I heard about architecture, and this is 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 somewhat of an embarrassing story, but it is true. It was like in high school, and I had a crush, and her dad was an architect. So, <laughs> yeah. so how do I impress? <laughs> yeah, how do I impress this girl? So you know, in Nigeria, when you're graduating they'll put a sash over your shoulder or whatever to say, this is what you're going to do in the future. And I'm just like, you know what? 
just gonna put an architect architect you know, just so she could just be like <laughs> oh man now i'm gonna go out with this guy and then my mom and dad saw it and were like oh you want to be an architect that's so nice and i was like no i, I want to be a, an entertainer you know then i wanted to be like usher or something you know dancing but it stuck and yeah even when i went to college i was like i'm just gonna do this for a little bit and then bring out my own mixtape or something, you know? But then it came easy to me. You know, the first year I went and I was like crushing it. Second year, I was like, okay, wait, wait, hold up a second. There's something <laughs> Maybe here. Maybe I'm good at this stuff, you know? And then I graduated and it's just like, phew. I was like, wow, that, was, that wasn't too bad. And then, you know, I was like, okay, I kind of like it. And I went to school in Nigeria, right? I did my undergrad in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And then I came out here and... I moved to Texas and I worked for a local architect there. And he was like, yeah, dude, you're so talented. You know, you should go do your master's. I'm like, master's, man. Yeah, I still want to be usher. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, I was working two jobs. I was working for the architect. I was working for Walmart. And he was like, yeah, you got you to gotta do your master's. Because like, if you want to get to the next level, you want people to, you know, recognize you. Yeah, you do have the talent, but, you know, you have a degree from... Nigeria, which is not very recognized. You want to, you know, at least try to get something. It's like, you know what, just go to the Northeast. And I just like, you know, it's like a coin toss. It's like, I'll just take the G, is it GMAT or whatever, you know? Yeah, for, the GMAT, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll just take it for like a test try. Take it. I got a high score. And I was like, you know what, I'm not going to wait for the next year. Because I think I took it in like October. So it was already passed. I was like, I'm not even going to wait. I told myself, if I don't get admitted January, I was going to buy a house in Texas and just like live in, in yeah, Texas. that's it. And then NJIT just reached out to me. and was like, hey, you want to come out here? I was like, why just for spring? You don't even have to do a first semester. You just come second semester and then... You have a scholarship and a stipend and, and you know, teacher's assistant. And I was like, really? Nice. Yeah. I just got a t- plane ticket. I didn't know anyone here. Just straight to Newark. So you gaslit yourself into a career. I gassed that. <laughs> I never thought about it, but yeah, I think <laughs> I did. I think I did, I, you know. That's what and, it sounds like. Yeah, it's crazy. It's been a crazy ride. So you went through that pathway and then, and thank you for sharing that. So it started in Nigeria with your undergrad. You came out here and then you got your dual masters you mentioned, right? Dual masters. Yeah. How did you end up at Amazon? So I was working for Gensler. It is the largest architecture design company in the world. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's a great company, but I was getting burnt out. Yeah. You know, in our, in the architecture field, there are two things that they say you, you're either on the client side or you're on the design side. Mm-hmm. So when you're in the design side, you have multiple clients. So you have a plethora of types of projects you can do. So I used to do like mixed use developments one day, then I do hospitality the other day, then I do like high rise because it's just different clients. Way on the client side, you're specifically executing on the client's behalf. So I was like, you know, I, I need to recalibrate need to change course a bit because I was just getting burnt out. Yeah. I was like, you know, I, I need to have a balance in my life. I was started dating at the time and I was like, you know, I want to raise a family and this is just not sustainable, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, with her own, you know, she also pushed me. It's like, you know what, you know, you should do what makes you happy. 
And and a part of me, I had always been saying, you know, what would be ideal would be just to work for a tech company and, you know, just like be the designer there. But in my mind, I was like, that would never happen. You know, it's like, that would never happen. But I was like, that would be the most awesomest thing. And I saw the position. I was like, Amazon hires architects. So I just applied for just like chances of this happening is like, and then they called me. I remember the call. They were like, hey, I was like, I was like, is this a scam? You know, it's like, is this Amazon? So I was so chill about it because I thought it was a scam. Like, yeah, whatever. Okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Like you don't really, you're not really that person. Yeah. You know what I'm really loving about your journey is one, there's a lot of humility here, but there's this aspect of even if you're not fully bought into an idea, you're still okay with the reality of like, well, let me, let me give it a shot anyway. Yeah. Like who yeah. cares? Right. And then in your scenario, it's like you kept trying and it kept working. So you just keep keep going and it keeps working. Yeah. Where did that kind of mentality come from for you? I've been trying to figure that out, bro. <laughs> yeah. I've been trying yeah. to figure that out. I want to say my dad, but but here's what happened. So, you know, there's this new song. It's a soundtrack to Oppenheimer. I don't know if you heard it. It's just very nice. And I made this analogy of that song and how life is and that life is like, it's like this frequency or this sound that everyone can acknowledge that is there, but everyone hears it differently. Because if you hear that song, you would hear different, you know, cadences. You hear, people hear different things when they hear that song. Yeah. And in a video, I just said, life is sort of like going in flow with that rhythm. You can choose to go in flow with it. You can choose not to. You can choose to hear something else. You can choose to hear what other people hear and then tell you what they're hearing. So you can try to vibe with what they're, it's just this, this, but somehow I'm just choosing to just flow with what I'm hearing, you know, and yeah. if the end product is good, it's good. If it's not, it's not. At least I was part of that dance. I really like that analogy. It's, it's almost like you, people hear what they, you know, they hear what they want to hear when it comes to to different things. I, I, I like to think about it in a similar way when I when I look at just the experiences that we have in life. In my master's, I studied emotional intelligence-based research. And like, how do we as, as humans work through our emotional regulation and management? Yeah. And one of the things that I, I really came to the conclusion of was that at any given time, you have something in your life that you can be happy about right now. You have something in your life that you could probably be sad about. You can probably be frustrated about. You can probably be insecure about. But who shows up at the end of the day is the person or the version of you that decided to choose one of those. Yeah. And that's like really yeah. difficult for a lot of people to wrap their head around because yeah. with that decision comes a lot of agency almost, right? Because exactly. if, if I say I'm having a bad day, but I also in the same sense acknowledge that I'm responsible for the day that I chose, then it's like, who do I blame? Exactly. I feel like our generation is really about like, I need to be able to blame somebody for what's going on. It's true. A fundamental attribution error. Have you heard of this? Ooh, no. So, oh, okay. So this is super cool. Basically the concept that, uh, and you, and the moment I describe it, you're going to be like, oh yes, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but like, it's this idea that we tend to, at a high level, it's, we tend to blame other people for their mistakes and attribute their successes to the environment or chance. But when it comes to us, 
We attribute our successes to our internal strength and natural abilities, but our failures are then the environment or circumstance, right? And that's what we call fundamental attribution error. Why is that? Because you're right, though, and I, I've done that. I think a little bit about it is ego and, and you know, the, that like slight narcissism that we have as children because we, not the buzzword narcissism that we have thrown around now, but like the true definition when you think of like the world is happening because of you, that develops when we're young children, right? Like when I think about my son, I think about my, my son just turned six. Whenever I have a bad day, mm-hmm. right? I'm coming in, say I come in from, you know, from work or something and I'm having a bad day. He hasn't seen me all day and I come in and I'm just like, he feels the energy he automatically assumes it's because of him. That young age. At that wow. young age, because it's, it's this natural inclination for narcissism of understanding the world based on how we interact with it and based on how the world interacts with us. So that's, I think, I would, I would pose that that's where it starts, where it's like, the world is happening because of me. Mm-hmm. So if this, if this is happening, then that's because of me too. But for some reason, that's flipped when it's other people because we were almost removed their agency. Yeah. It's like, well, well, no, if you make a mistake, then that's on you. Right. <laughs> but if you are successful, then that's probably just luck. If I'm successful though, no, that's on me. That's on me. It's interesting the way that that happens. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting phenomenon. But yeah, you, you do touch on something that's that's true that I haven't really thought about yet. I think a part of truly successful people or just like being truly successful or getting a different echelon of success is being able to be consistent across your wins and your losses, right? Being able to say, I'm responsible for the day that I'm having hard stop, yeah, right? If I'm having the best day, I'm responsible for that. And if I'm having the worst day, I'm also responsible for that, regardless of whether there's other variables involved. Yeah, I think Nietzsche said that, right? Frederick Nietzsche said something like, the experience that you have with the world is not based around the things that happen, but based around your interpretation of those things. And that's true. Yeah. And if that's true, then this other part has to be true too, right? It's like, yeah, if your day sucks, that you did that. <laughs> like you did that. Yeah, but you know, it's it's there's a counterbalance that your successes are based off of the actions that you took. You know? Mm-hmm. That's why you feel like, you know, I have to take credit for it because I I saw myself building these building blocks to get here and I'll use like fitness for example like because I like to go to the gym Mm -hmm. so it's like yeah I want to get a six pack yeah I know I have to watch my diet do cardio go to the gym at least three times a week to get to that milestone of like in 30 days I can see the abs in that regard I would say yeah that was my effort yeah but if something goes wrong I can also blame like, yeah, you know, the gym, the equipment was kind of shady. So, you know, so. But that's my point, right? I think so the, remember the root was your, your analogy of that sound of like people hear what they want to hear. Yeah, that's true. My point is the the data doesn't change. The data doesn't change. In the same sense, you can do the same thing of like, hey, maybe you, maybe a person got out of shape. Yeah. They're like, oh, well, you know what? It's all these other things happening. It's like, no, you didn't go to the gym. Like, (laughs) you you didn't do these things. And when and when when I get out of shape, it's like, yeah, it's just work. All of these things. Damn. That's why I said when the moment I describe it, you're gonna be like, damn, 
true. And you said Nietzsche said this? Who did it come from? The fundamental attribution theory, it's just a theory in psychology. Okay, I got to tell you um, this No, no Frederick, Frederick Nietzsche said, uh, he was the one that, that made the comment around your experience is based on how you choose to interpret what's happening to you, not necessarily what's happening. And there's a bunch of variations of that throughout history. Like different people have said there are variations of that. But I really do like subscribe to that belief where life isn't happening to you. Yeah. It's happening to everyone at the same time. But when we think that, oh no, life, is, this is happening to me, that's when we fall into that error where we go, okay, the things that go wrong, I'm choosing to listen to this melody. Yeah. And when it goes right, I'm listening to this melody, but it's the same song. It's the same song. Same song. And it, that's interesting. But so when you think about to the, the question that I had around, like how you kind of process and challenge yourself to, you know, kind of push forward, even when you feel like maybe, you know, maybe it will work out, maybe it won't. Like there's that kind of ambiguity there. Yeah. You mentioned you have, you have a, a child. Yeah. How are you instilling that in him or how is that translating for him? I don't know. I don't know if it's translating at all yet. <laughs> He's two. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm trying to teach him concepts right now. Concept of action-reaction. Concept of time. Concept of authority. You know, these things, like these different concepts. Maybe I get it right. Maybe I don't. Yeah, <laughs> we'll yeah. find out in 18 years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's just concepts for now. Yeah. I'll be the first to admit I don't have the answers. I don't know. I don't know why I do some of the things I do. I don't know. You know, you know my wife says I'm just a happy-go-lucky guy. Like, I, I'm always happy for no reason. And I'm like, yeah, I, I guess, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe. Right? Maybe you're just choosing to listen to a specific melody, man. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the thing. Maybe <laughs> it's just a frequency. I'm just like, in my head just the whole time. I noticed that it frustrates other people, right? Like when you're when you're the happy person and then they're like consistently listening to the, you know, the other part of the song. I've gotten a criticism about my happiness at work. Yeah. Like at my previous job, someone was like, I think we were having happy hour and I, I noticed the guy doesn't really like associate with me, doesn't talk to me, he would get like grumpy. And he came up to me and said, dude, you know, one of the reasons I don't like talking with you is because you're always smiling and I think you're a phony. Oh. It's like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. He's like, and he's, I think he was like, no one should be always this happy or no one should. Be. I was like, yo, what the hell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you learn more about people, right? Through the, through that, that vulnerability and honesty of like, oh, I see your perspective. I only ask him, bro, what are you going through? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, but you know what? And it, that, but that's like, prime, like a prime example of your specific perspective is the first thing. Cause you know, there's that's, it's very easy for a person probably to be defensive when someone says something like that. But instead you were like, what are you going through, man? Oh, right. See, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. yeah. yeah, sure, yeah. Now you could have easily been like, wait, you just called me phony. There's so many insults in, embedded in that. Yeah. But instead you were like, what's, what's, are you okay? Yeah. Like what's going on with you? But I love this example. Now I'm not going to forget it. Like this whole like the music example that you had. The I'm music. Because <laughs> yeah, that's a really good example of, yeah, of yeah. that idea of like, 
I'm choosing to, I'm here. I'm listening to this one. Listening to this one, yeah. You're listening to this one and and for some reason, your whole outlook is negative. Maybe maybe choose to listen to a different part of the song. I want to shift subjects for a bit because I think this is all really great to understand more about your perspective. But I I do want to ask the question of store design. And because I mentioned you are for sure the first store designer that I've ever met. How diverse is that space? It's not diverse. It's not diverse. Design, the design industry is not diverse. The architecture industry is the second least diverse industry. And the the first is pilots. Pilots. Yeah. And then the second is architects. And then when you get even more into the weeds of what you specifically do, the numbers just dwindle. It's just, I'm a unicorn. What is that experience like? You know, at first... Do you even pay attention to it? At first, I didn't pay attention to it. At first, I didn't. Because I was, I mean, I'm... Even though I'm I'm born here, I I'm an immigrant. Yeah. So I I didn't understand context of things. I didn't understand it. So even when the people were, were being prejudiced towards me, or people were just, I didn't even get it <laughs> because again, <laughs> that frequency. I was just like, yeah, this dude is just weird, you know. Yeah. Like I had professors fail me, and my fellow students were like, that's kind of weird, you know, because you did the same amount of work and he was chastising you. Didn't get it. It was until I graduated. I was like, that dude was outright racist towards me and I didn't even know. Yeah. You know, the longer I'm in this space, the more challenging it becomes because the less there are people of color in the space. It, it, it's like the architectural industry, it keeps shedding. When you start the program, they're like 30 people. Your second year drops. Third, it's like medical school, I think. Yeah. It keeps dropping, right? And then when you get into the profession, it keeps dropping. Like people, so, so, so to some people's eye, they would say, I dropped out of the architect industry because I'm technically not, I'm not working for an architect. You see, so you see what I mean? Yeah, I gotcha. So it's like, it keeps shedding. So to find a principle that is black or a minority in true architecture space in one of you know the top tier architecture it's just mm-hmm. how 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 has that impacted your development like i think the question is there it's a bit loaded so i want to i want to take a step back because yeah what i what i'm asking is and i'll i'll speak from my experience and then you know your experience may be different you know kind of splitting your time between nigeria and and here yeah but like for me it was hard for me growing up in, in the U.S. It was hard for me not to see race, right? Because it's thrown in your face all the time. Yeah, yeah. And me coming from like a mixed background, it was more amplified because then people are consistently telling me what I need to be or how, how I should feel mm, yeah. in different spaces or like assuming what I am and then going, well, then you should be this or you should feel that way. So for me, I, was, I had this constant battle of as I'm developing in different spaces, especially when I got into my career of like, how can I exist at this level? How can I be a principal? How can I be a director? If I don't know anyone like me in these spaces, yeah. but I'm interested in what your experience was kind of like along those lines when it came to your development. How did you view it? I was lucky to not have the issue of race constantly bombarded to me at a young age. So when I came here, I was naive and the naivety helped me pass certain thresholds that most people wouldn't, people would just stop out of frustration. But then when I started getting acclimatized to it and seeing, okay, this ain't right. That ain't right. Yeah. I always just felt that I am an architect because of my design ability. 
And my design ability, I believe it's a gift that's given to me. I know, like I know, there's this feeling that I know that in due time, in due time, I will get to that position that you are trying to prevent me from getting to. Mm. I don't know why, but it, again, and, and that's one of the concepts I'm trying to teach my, my kid. Time and patience in due time. If it is buried in your subconscious, and like it is buried in mine, that I am one of the best designers you can ever come across. It might be bullshit. Yeah. But I'm totally convinced myself. Yeah. So, so when I meet like people that say, yeah, well, you can't, you know, no, no, no. I'm just like, okay, whatever. You don't, you don't see it that way. I see it that way. And my work will speak for itself one day. Yeah. Have you met a lot of pushback on that? Let me give you an instance of where I actually left a company. I don't want to say the name. Yeah. I was one of the designers for a couple competitions that we did in China. And we won one and we started, you know, getting to the nitty gritty of it, like signing a contract and actually starting to work with the Chinese company that was going to do the construction. Mm -hmm. So my boss here, you know, we celebrated, we got the contract, but I was like, okay, we got to send the design team over to China. My boss in his mind thought he was protecting me by not picking me to go to China. So he put a junior designer, designers under me, he put that person in line to go to China. In his mind, he thought, okay, I'm doing this for you. Yeah. If that happened, like when I moved to America, I would have just thought, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, yeah. my guy? Because I got climbing. I was like, yo, this is going to hurt me in the long run. Like This mm -hmm. junior guy now has Chinese experience. He's traveled abroad and he's going to overlap me in a couple of years just because you think... You know? Yeah, I might have a bad experience. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that was the first time I, I was like, this thing is so complicated. Yeah. This guy genuinely think because he came to me and was happy. He was like, dude, it's crazy out there, man. Like, I'm not going to send you out there. I'm going to send this guy. You know what it is? It's like, allow me to make my own decisions, right? Allow me to make. Yeah. And, and yeah. It, it goes back to what we were talking about before, right? That idea of like. What kind of day are you going to have? Yeah, you know, I even do this with my son. Like whenever my son's having a, a moment, yeah, when he makes statements like, this person made me feel like this way or, or you're making me feel this way, I'll just pause and I'll say, hey, who's responsible for how you feel? Right now, he's, he's still, you know, he's still young. So he, it's just this mantra that we go back and forth. It's like a call and response. But I'll say, who's responsible for how you feel? And he'll say, I am. And I go, okay, well, are you choosing to have a good day or a bad day right now? And he said, I'm choosing to have a good day. I was like, are you? <laughs> and he goes, yes, I'm going to choose to have a good day. I'm like, all right, let's, let's move in that direction. But I think what, what I'm instilling, there's obviously the, the actual direct application of that. Yeah. But what I'm trying to instill and I'm, what I'm hearing here in, in what you're saying is, what I'm trying to instill is that idea that I'm giving you the opportunity to, to decide for yourself yeah. how you want this to go. Right. And I think that that's probably the greatest level of respect that we can show people is I'm going to give you the information. Yeah. And I'm going to let you decide what to do with that information. Yeah. And I think leaders make that mistake a lot of like, I'm going to protect you from this because I wouldn't want to deal with this. Or exactly. I think that you might not want to deal with this. And, and in that, in that trying to be sensitive space, you're actually being very insensitive. Insensitive. Yeah. And that's kind of what I heard here. And it's interesting because you see like there's 
sometimes little to no malice in some of these decisions, but it has so far reaching impact when it comes to the amount of designers, black designers, black architects yeah. in that spot. I think that as you shifted from being like the core architecture feel like working for an actual architecture firm into tech, as you mentioned, yeah, was that experience different for you? Because it's still design, right? Which is still limited, but was that experience different for you when you shifted over into tech? It's just a bigger platform, bigger scale, you know, yeah. the size of the companies are, you know, worlds apart. And then the sphere of influence too is worlds apart. So you can say I'm playing with the big boys now. So yeah, yeah. Your voice can be drowned out if you're not loud enough. So there's two points to this question. Yeah. What would you say to companies to help with amplifying Black voices in general? And what would you say to individuals, you know, like Black designers or creatives in different spaces to help amplify their own voices or help kind of stand up and stand out or create like more community? Because I think that that's another thing that's really difficult Mm -hmm. in kind of maintaining this space is if you consistently feel like you're the only person, yeah. there's actually research on this where it's like, if there's only one black person on the team or just person of color on the team, mm-hmm. the likelihood of them leaving or quitting is extremely high. Yeah, If there's two, it's a little bit less. If there's three or more, the likelihood of them staying because of community is, a, is like, it just exponentially higher. So like, what are your thoughts on that? I think Amazon as a company should just first acknowledge that there is value in the Black experience. There is value in what the individual brings to the table. Not, okay, maybe let's try it, but like, yeah, this group of people have something that's valuable. You know, from there, I guess it's top down. Mm-hmm. When there's that acknowledgement, there is there is a subconscious activation that, okay, if these people are saying this thing is valuable, let's lean into it to really hear what they're saying, you know? Yeah. So right now the Ben community is there. Ben is what for the listeners here? Black Employee Network. And I've been part of it for a year and a half. And I have coworkers that haven't heard anything about it before, didn't even know it existed. Gotcha. And they've been at Amazon longer than I have. And I think not to any fault of their own, but it's just like, there hasn't been that lean in, in to, to really listen, you know? So I think it should be conscious. It should be an, a conscious effort. There should be intentional about it. Just leaning in top down. That should be a start. Yeah. It only would make the product offerings or our services to the customer even richer because our customer base is diverse. So, yeah, you know, I know things that some people don't know and some people know things that I don't know. If we come together to express ourselves freely and talk about how we can influence customers, I don't see any downside to it. I think that's really valuable, being able to kind of, and that kind of addresses that kind of community space. I remember I was talking about like that research that was done where without communities, because mm-hmm. you think about like even communities of practice, right? When you think about mm-hmm. different disciplines, you have communities of practice and then you have communities of people mm-hmm. and you need your communities um, in order to feel like home, feel safe yeah. when you're having yeah. a bad day. And that's yeah. really important. And it sounds like Ben is a start. Is a start. It's a start. But what's the next step for that? 
Yeah. And I, and I, I, I want to be cautious about how I present this. I don't want to make this as a blanket statement that all Black employees at Amazon have to be ambassadors for the Black cause. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because there's some people that just, just like, I just want to be looked at as an employee and not a Black employee. And I do not want my actions to be seen as, you know, this is what Black people do. You know what I mean? So you have to be in- intentional. How much control do we actually have over it? Because it, it's like, there's the wanting, there's the like not wanting to be seen as an ambassador. Mm-hmm. And then there's the reality of when I raise my hand, I'm re- I'm reflective in the minds of the people in the room of everyone that I remind them of. Right. There should be a dialogue. You should have that dialogue. If someone does not carry that on his head, you don't put it on his head. You don't say, well, you guys are doing this. So, you know, it's like, no. That's a really good distinction there. It's like, there's that shouldn't just be my identity. No. It's like the question, right? It's like, no, this is a part of my identity, like like many other things. Yeah. But this shouldn't be my identity because when it is, then that's the only thing you can even think about whenever you interact with me. Yeah. And that's where that's where a lot of this friction comes in. Yeah. Where it's like, when this is my only thing mm-hmm. in your mind, then that's the thing that always comes up whenever we have discussions, whenever we have discourse, whenever we have disagreements, that's the thing that comes up. And and that's where good managers know how to decipher these things. At the end of the day, we are a for-profit company and you want to pull the best out of people. And if you feel like that person is representing themselves in a certain way, you want to get just the best out of that. Yeah. If the person is wearing the LSU, you want to be like, hey, what is LSU good at? To go to football? What's the coach's name? You know, give me that. You know, you don't start saying, well, you guys vandalize a couple stores in 06. You're like, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're a manager. <laughs> your goal is to get the best out of them to serve the customers because your customer base have LSU, you know, people in there too. So it's like, that's how good managers operate. Get the best out of the people. When I think about, because we've been talking about like the, just kind of like next generation growth, career, whatever. What would you say is, and I, I gathered quite a few throughout this conversation, just the way the way you think and your process, but like, what would you give as like a tangible piece of advice for the next generation that wants to move into, whether it's architecture, design, or like the tech space? Find a passion and lean into it. You know, give it a year, you know, all your might. <laughs> and... I can almost guarantee when you come out of it, you know, you, you, you would be a, a richer person, not in, not in, in a, you know, monetary value, but just in like knowledge and experience. Like I remember hearing this a while back and it took me years to really like internalize it, but they were like, some people are so poor. All they have is money. Yeah. And it hit so hard. And so that's what I was thinking about when you said like your life will be richer, you know, if when you like lean into your passions, you may, you know, you kind of like explore different spaces and and challenge yourself to, to be uncomfortable almost. And I want to say this though, like in hindsight, me saying it sounds as though I listened to someone that told me to do this. I never listened to anyone. I I used used to hate people that said what I'm saying right now when I was in my 20s. Like, you know, but somehow, coincidentally, or luckily enough, I did those things without really knowing. Yeah. Maybe it goes back to that sound and just vibe. Yeah, you started listening to a different part of the melody. Yeah, and just like, thank God. So now I'm looking back and say, okay, this worked for me. It might not work for everyone, you know, but 
Yeah. No, yeah. I I love that. I love I mean, and that's a good way to, you know, kind of close out this this episode. I think that what I gained if I if I had to call one thing out that I gained from from this because it was I got a lot, but it's don't be afraid to gaslight yourself into success. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's gotta be it. No, but Joel, thanks for uh, joining us again for for this episode. It's been a, an amazing conversation. Thank you, thank you for having me, man. It's a beautiful opportunity, and I'm happy I was able to share my thoughts, my experiences, and I hope it inspires someone. Mm-hmm.